Hello and welcome to another episode of Hot Takes, the Story Screen Presents show where we go see a new movie and then we save our first impressions for you, the listener. I'm Jack Kolodzewski here with my brother, Jeremy Kolodzewski. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing great. We just saw a movie. We did. What movie did we see? We saw The Art of Self-Defense. Tell me more about The Art of Self-Defense. It is an uh, independent release, not playing in uh, too many theaters. Limited release. It is a limited release. Uh-huh. Um, but we saw it. We, we did see it. We tracked it down. We certainly did. And uh, not to j- jump to two. Excuse me. Excuse me. Fucking biker gangs. Thank you. Trying to record a podcast. Sorry, Jeremy. Continue. Uh, where was I? Uh, oh yeah. Um, so, so if this movie is playing near you, I highly recommend uh, you going to go see it. Not to jump to too many conclusions, but this is a this is a really good movie. This was very much my type of movie. Yeah, yeah. I also enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, this is a movie directed by uh, a first time director, I believe. His name's Riley. St- Stearns, Riley Stearns. Really? Yeah. First time, huh? I believe so. Not a bad first effort. Not a um, a whole lot of credentials on his IMDb page. Although I did notice that um, he is the uh, former husband of um, the actress Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which ah. which is interesting. Okay. And uh, this movie, uh, it's, it also stars um, Jesse Eisenberg. And um, Alessandro Nivola, who's in a whole bunch of things. He's like one of those that guy actors who mm-hmm. gets a whole bunch of uh, small roles. But um, this is like... It's a pretty big role. This is a pretty big role. He is the second him. major character. As well movie. as Emojin Poots, who is also in a whole bunch of stuff. Most notably uh, Green Room. Yeah, that's the one I recognize her from. Yeah. And, uh, and she was good in that. And also this. Yeah, yeah. And this is a, um, a dark comedy. A very dark comedy surrounding a uh, a man played by Jesse Eisenberg, who's like a thirty something year old um, dude who like really struggles with his masculinity. Yeah, just completely feckless. Is completely scared of everything. He's scared of his own shadow. Yeah, um, and is yeah, like you said, as far as the kind of standard definition of masculinity, he has yeah. pretty much none. It's it's not too far off the beaten path when it comes to roles that Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg takes. has out Michael Sarah and Michael Sarah. I think officially with this role, he really. I think my, the probably the first time I saw Jesse Eisenberg was in Zombieland. Yeah, uh, where he very much was like, "Oh, uh, Michael wasn't available, huh?" <laughs> okay, but I think he's he's proven himself definitely. Um, in the social network way back then, he's proved to be a, a really terrific actor once he once he's given the right material to work with. And once he uh, if he's given a a good script and a good direction, which really uh, highlights his talents, he can really like embrace that kind of character. Yeah, really well. I, I have a personal bias against Jesse Eisenberg that I'm loosening the grip on. Um, but I walked into my roommate watching The Squid and the Whale. One time when I was in college and I really only saw the scene where, and I don't even remember it that well. I saw the scene where Jesse Eisenberg was describing something as Kafka-esque. <laughs> and, uh, and that was pretty much it for me and Jesse as far as our relationship oh, goes. Oh my goodness. Um, but no, I, I mean, I, uh, 
I really liked him in this movie. I mean, he very much was doing the nervous, lonely virgin mm-hmm. um, kind of role in this movie. But uh, he plays it with a sense of darkness to it as well. And the movie is very much a satire, social commentary on masculinity and the kind of um, the definitions of masculinity and how it can become toxic. Um, and I think as a comedy, it's very effective. I thought it was very funny. It's very funny and it's also very dry. It is. It never once cracks an actual joke. There's no actual, this is a very funny movie, pretty much devoid of humor whatsoever. Yeah. Um, none of the characters are engaged in any sort of humor. No, it's almost kind of like a, uh, oh, fuck. I just, I just completely blanked on his name. The favorite, um, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, kind of like a darkly comedic Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. In the way it's definitely inspired by his work. The, yeah, for sure. Um, the kind of very deliberate sort of style of delivery of the dialogue where everything is just completely deadpan and matter of fact and very matter of fact, very to the point, very blunt, um, in a way that I always really enjoy. You know, I enjoy it when Wes Anderson does it. I enjoy it when Yorgos Lanthimos does it. And I enjoyed it very much in this movie as well. Can't believe I blanked on his name. At this point, it's almost it become its own genre, a little sort of bit. Thing. Yeah, um, I think you're really seeing it. Um, and there's got to be other examples that we're not thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, write us if you think of those examples. I think Napoleon Dynamite. I guess. I guess. Yeah, and I more recently, The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, um, fits into that. Yeah, Jim Jarmusch movies. Yeah. Are- yeah, very much like that as well. Um, and I think it, he, they play it super effectively in this movie because mm-hmm. we laughed out loud many times during this movie. This movie goes to some uh, quite dark places as yeah. well, and when it makes that turn to the darkness, it actually makes it like funny, like even funnier in a way. Yeah. In that it's like it's kind of like nervous laughter where you're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, it's it it maintains that sense of of comedy yeah. while showing you things that are very disturbing and uh very messed up. Yeah. Um in the kind of the, almost the same breath. Um and it kind of flops back and forth between those two things very effectively as well. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I think everybody really did very well in the acting in this movie. Mm-hmm. Jesse Eisenberg especially. He's he he not only is able to portray that kind of character that's that is just completely scared of everything um completely just intimidated by everything in in uh you know his his dialogue and the way he delivers it but also his his posture in this entire movie is just so com- he does a like a thing with his hand i don't know if you notice that yeah kind of like, he kind of like always, has like a, he has like little claws like a little dinosaur his, claws yeah but he kind of puts them out to the side he's very charlie brown-esque mm-hmm. in this movie um and he he just he always conveys that sense of like just he is just wound up tight but so recoiled at almost all times yeah quite quite a literal pushover yeah yeah and this movie follows his journey uh from becoming a pushover to um 
in in his quotes, uh, and this is a line in the trailer. He wants to become what intimidates him. Right. Anyway, so uh, a la Batman. Uh, yeah, a la Batman a little bit, and so he um after after a little incident he has a traumatic incident he stumbles across this uh, karate dojo mm-hmm. uh, who was run by uh, Alessandro Nivola playing a character named Sensei. And this is like this is one of those dojos that you'll find in like mini malls, like a all, strip mall, yeah. all across mm-hmm. of uh, America. They're called Mick Dojos. Yeah, the ones and, that just say karate. Yeah, the and ones. Nothing else. Yeah, and they just like um, they teach you a very like skewed portrayal of uh, of like the martial art. It's not like a hundred percent genuine version of it. It's like it's just like Americanized Chinese food, right? Like, it's a, it's not a sanctioned nationally recognized form of martial arts. No, um, which is interesting, and, I, and they play with that well. Um, I uh, personal story. I did martial arts for a yes, long time. you did. In our uh, in our childhood, he uh, well, my childhood through my adulthood. I started when I was about four, and I went right up until I was eighteen. So oh, right that's right. I, you did it. You did it for that long. Yeah, right, right before I went to college, basically, yeah. is when I stopped. You so. became a, you were a third degree black belt. Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny watching this movie and and thinking about the kind of Mick Karate as you as you uh, described it. Um, Kind of the differences in philosophy, which I think we'll probably get into a little bit more in spoiler territory, where yeah. we talk more specifically about this dojo. Um, how how good of a job does this movie do in satirizing those kind of um, that kind of environment? Well, I mean, I think it's going to depend on the style of karate that you're talking about and the kind of place where you're. There are a lot of different interpretations of martial arts. Um, of course. And I think this is kind of satirizing one very, not even specific. I think it's like a almost a generic. It's almost more like the interpretation from the outside perspective of what karate is looking in um, without actually hitting some of the core values that, at least in my experience, the martial arts was about. Interesting. Um, I want to look up if Riley Stearns actually like took karate classes. It's possible, and it's possible that whatever um, form of martial arts he is—I mean, there is a form of martial arts just called karate, of specifically. course. Um, and you know, there are there are details within every kind of different form of martial arts that are particular to that form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wearing a gi and and uh, and having be- colored belts is pretty common among yeah, the majority totally, of them totally. um but you know again there's different like philosophies kind of within them um and i think there is there is kind of shades of similarities to the martial arts i took was called subakdo which was right. similar to taekwondo but a different kind of style within that kind of realm um and there are definitely some like pretty similar aspects mm-hmm. uh, they have different colored belts they use stripes on the belts um with colored tape basically that indicates different things um you know they had ceremonies for promotions that kind of stuff i remember sitting through those promotions yeah. back in the day yeah, yeah. being very yeah, they were, bored they were pretty boring <laughs> yeah they were they were boring for uh, the parties involved well yeah. i guess they were exciting if you were getting a promotion but um 
they were long affairs. But yeah, it's it's the the philosophy really at its core that I think is very different in this movie mm-hmm. than again only in my experience. This movie does definitely exist in a heightened reality for sure. As just well. just like the the dialogue is is mm-hmm. kind of a heightened sort of realization and, and of the like pseudo consequences yeah. or lack thereof that yes. some of the characters totally. go through and the just like kind of cavalier way it depicts brutal violence yes uh that is the other thing i guess we have not really mentioned is that this you said that this movie gets to some dark places this movie has some unexpected and very graphic and very brutal violence that Mm -hmm. uh i was not really expecting so much um do you want to we're pretty much getting to the point where we're butting up against some some uh, specific some spoiler kind of talk do you mm-hmm. want to do you have any closing thoughts around just how you feel about this movie uh i will i will also mention that i really enjoyed the score of this yeah. movie it was yeah. um or, and the lack thereof sometimes there was a lack thereof of of a score there was definitely like some moments where it like embraced silence and just like uh natural diegetic uh sounds yep. but when we'll the, definitely talk about that when the there was something very memorable about the score it's not really like a melodic score that you can just like hum right but there's just like there's certain pieces that you just like that are just very recognizable and just like it's like there's plucking of the strings Mm -hmm. and there's just like a certain like hum of of like uh stringed instruments that come at some point that is just like uh i i first heard it in the in the trailer and it's like it's it's very distinct yeah there there is a I think overall very distinct use of sound in this movie mm-hmm. um, where it, it, it we can talk more specifically about how it uses music, um, but it also just uses the sound of the dojo to a lot of extremes. Yeah. It's kind of like we've talked about um, movies like um, Brawl and Cell Block 99. We've talked about that tonight how that kind of fully work that like super heightened loud sound work makes the violence that much more excruciating because the sound is so pronounced and distinct. And mm-hmm. I think there's so much sound with like feet on the mat and mm-hmm. just like small things that make sounds that are hyper pronounced, like putting on a belt or your feet on the mat or, you know, basically anything um, has a super kind of like, heightened sense of sound work the 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 clicking of a uh of a keyboard even the clicking of a mouse or like the kind of like squeak of a chair anything is like super heightened so that when you do get those moments of violence they are also super heightened sounds it 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 gives you very visceral reaction absolutely especially since you know i found the story very engaging so it's you know it's it's funny and it's and it's quite engaging and i really like thoughtful too it's yeah. thoughtful in what it's doing. Yeah, it it has it has a lot to say and it has a lot to um like unpack when it comes to like modern day masculinity. Yeah. Right. And uh yeah, I you know, be- before going into spoilers, I do recommend seeking this one out whether it's like you're listening to it uh at the time of its release where it's playing in limited theaters, right. or later down the line where it will inevitably end up streaming somewhere. I do yeah i think it's it's something that's worth your time and it's very it's very unique yeah i could see this one getting picked up on one of the streaming services as a um both paid rental and then probably in a little bit you'd be able to watch it 
with a subscription somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely on the same page. I really like this movie. I, uh, I think this is going to make squeeze its way into my current list of favorites, at least for this year. Um, possibly we'll see if it hangs all the way to the end of the year, but so far it's, it's well in the running. So, um, okay. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with some spoilers. So stick around. So I think one of the first things that you pointed out while we were watching this movie also might, might be worth mentioning. We, uh, Got to discuss this one a little bit while we were watching it a tiny bit because we were the only we were the only ones in the theater. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's, this movie isn't getting like a great deal of advertising, and like you know, it's not showing in that many uh, theaters. So you know that that tends to happen. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, more often than not, with the movies that I see, unless you go to like a, a theater that like shows more niche stuff like jacob that, burns kind of yeah thing. like jacob burns or draft house or or a story screen beacon. or a story screen beacon that's that's another notable mm-hmm. example um like the big multiplexes like are not are not gonna get that we're seeing audience. it midweek as well yeah, as, so. as well it's um, like, but if you're listening to this and you've gone past the spoiler zone and you still haven't seen the movie seriously it's worth your time to go see this movie. It's and, not very long. No, no. It's, it's it's refreshing to see a movie these days that's less than two hours. Yeah, it's under two hours. Um, and uh, it's I think it's I think you'll know if this movie is for you based on just watching the trailer. Uh-huh. Um, well, the trailer doesn't like give a whole lot away. No, not a ton, but I think you can get a sense of the style and the tone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you, I think, I think it's a distinct style that is probably not for everybody. No, but. Especially, like, you know, there are some people who enjoy comedies, but don't really enjoy brutal violence, so. True, true, yeah. Brutal probably sudden a, violence. They're probably so. the, the Venn diagram of, like, oh, I could I could go for a comedy. I like a I Oh, like Jesse a yuck. Eisenberg. I like a, a yuck here to he's here. A, he's a, here he's a nice boy. Although, I guess Zombieland was a comedy with some... This the I mean the, this is this the is some, violence this in Zombieland is so violence. cartoony. Yeah, this is some harsh... It is elevated in a way, but it is elevated in a way that just makes it that yeah. much more. Where you look green. at it and you're just oh, I think yeah. a good another good example of that also starting Voj and Poots Green Room. Yes, definitely. Like yeah. you know, if you've seen Green Room, you can take that kind of violence out. You'll be fine. True. <laughs> Saying a lot. Uh, yeah, if you can take the extremely harsh, sudden, violent, brutal violence, then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, I think uh, one of the first things that you, that you called out um, about this movie that I didn't pick up from the trailer, but was pretty apparent, is that it takes place somewhere in the 90s, probably. Like, either late 90s early or early 2000s. 2000s. There's yeah. not a whole great deal of use of modern day technology. Like, yeah. There's no smartphones. There's no, um, there's no like, any kind of big, like... All the technology in this seems like it's from... There's a lot of analog. There's a lot of analog. There's a lot of landline phones. There's a lot of... Cassette tapes. Cassette tapes and old CRT TVs and old... Huge video cameras. Yeah, like, like yeah, huge old, like, tape uh, video camera and um, also, like, old computers with, like, the very clicky mm-hmm. uh, keyboards. Which I, is something that the movie does not draw an a lot of attention to no um it and i think i think there's probably a a couple reasons why a movie like this would do that 
A, I bet it's pretty cheap to get your hands on all that equipment. Yeah. Um, B, I think you're seeing this more and more often now where movies, especially, you know, indie movies or lower budget movies, just don't want to fucking deal with smartphones on screen. Um, And they want to just set a movie away from all that bullshit, Um, which I I do think makes it a little more focused, I guess. Yeah. Um, to not have like modern technology in there. But I also think it gives it a little bit of like a timelessness as or, well. Or it could be very deliberate in the way it's uh, it's sensing, it's showing its time period is because it could be evoking that um, certain time period from like the late 90s, early 2000s, like pre 9-11, where masculinity was in a very like displaced Kind of thing where you mm. have movies like Office Space and The Matrix and um, uh, Fight Fight Club, especially. And this movie yeah, evokes a lot from Vi- a lot of Fight Club. From in Fight this Club, movie. yeah. Where it was like uh, it was like the late nineties, and just like men were so pent up because yeah. they really didn't have anything to fight for most of the nineties, so they were their masculinity was like displaced, right. So this movie's probably like evoking that kind of. That's an extremely good point. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of vibe, and to release it in 2019 is to bring up the point where it's like you know, mas- masculinity in the modern age is still in kind of like a displaced, uh, right area, and there's this um, toxic masculinity that's that's being grappled with, right. and um. And it's, it's, it's now, I think, I think, yeah, also to your point about it being set in that time frame, it is, it's easier for us to say this because we weren't really thinking about it in that era because we were children. We were were kids. Um, But it wasn't really addressed in the same way that masculinity is addressed now, especially toxic masculinity. And Mm -hmm. um, I think there is definitely... A lot more effort now to be conscious of toxic masculinity, to call it out, um, and to be aware of that sort of behavior. Yeah. Um, and that's whereas, exactly what Casey is going through. Exactly. In this movie. Yeah, exactly. He is kind of uh, experiencing it firsthand, um, undergoing it firsthand, and then yeah. realizing how... I, I don't know if realizing is the best... <laughs> way to put it that's a good way of putting it it's like you know his whole his whole journey is that he wants to become a man and he wants to not be a pushover anymore but when he finally gets to that point he realizes oh shit this is just this is ruining my life even more so right and it's like just causing like a downward spiral into this um into this like this dojo which turns out to be this like almost like a like a blood gang (laughs) Of well, sorts, that's where is, the, the the Fight Club comparisons really yeah like, kind of yeah get their totally. Um, I want to back up from that a little bit before we kind of get to that conclusions on where Casey sort of winds up, um, and talk maybe a little bit more about the setup of this movie, where kind of where we find Casey at the outset. Mm-hmm. We talked before about how the sort of inciting incident incident of this movie is Casey gets mugged yeah. on his way to go by dog food for his very small dachshund um and uh if he gets attacked by bikers yeah uh wearing helmets faces concealed and he just gets the 
shit kicked out of him. If I have one major problem with this movie, uh-huh. is that I I felt like the biker gang being revealed to be the the men from the dojo. Mm-hmm. I think that was a little bit telegraphed, and I and I kind of sure. saw that coming, and they kind of treated it like a twist that you wouldn't. That you like wouldn't see. I think it's a, of sorts. I think it is a twist for Casey more so because he is naive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think like if it's, it's, this movie handles so many things so well, they could have handled that that like reveal and the um, Casey's reaction to it a little bit a little bit better. In what way would you want it to be different? <sighs> I don't know. Maybe like more of a reaction from yeah, Casey. Yeah, but the entire. This entire movie is so deadpan that that is true. And Casey is also so withdrawn, especially when he becomes afraid that his reaction is to kind of draw within himself and recoil. You know, his reaction is not he never reacts in a way where he's like, well, what the fuck is this? He just kind of freezes, you know? Yeah, it's just like that when they reveal the bicycles the bicycles the the motorcycles mm-hmm. and i just i i get i guess i just wish the movie like took a second for casey to be like oh shit this it was them the whole there definitely is a shot that is just his face and his realization of where this but is. he's still i guess because of his because he's still like a pretty fragile and recoiled guy he he goes he goes through with it and but i i also think he was starting to sense this on his own I think yeah. I think the this is not a shock revelation because in the same way that it's telegraphed to you the viewer it is also being telegraphed to Casey because at this point he's he's reali- we're getting way ahead of ourselves but that's okay um he's realizing himself what he he's getting in over his head because at this point his dog has been murdered he has now attacked an innocent person his sensei has blackmailed him yeah um and he has seen uh his friend well not friend but another person in the dojo anna beat someone to the edge of their life yeah so i think at this point it's a very minor complaint yeah but 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 it's interesting that you say that because i think i think it is in the text that casey at this point is coming to the because he's not an idiot he is coming to the realization himself that this is a very dark place. And I think at the point where they actually reveal the bikes for you, the viewer, it's like, yeah, that makes sense to him. It's also like, I didn't want this to be true, but deep down he probably knew it was. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. So, um, but I, I really like how this movie, the arc of this movie and the arc that Casey takes where, and especially, so you talked about the music. The music at the very beginning of this movie, kind of like even in the first section of the first act, has that like kind of whimsical pluckiness. sort of like pluckiness to yeah. it that very much goes away right after he's attacked. Pretty much as soon as, yeah, once he once he gets attacked and definitely once he starts taking the night classes. Right. Well, it, it kind of stops right after he gets attacked. And that is the section of the movie where there is... Almost no music at all until Sensei introduces him to metal. Yeah. Which is a pretty funny scene. That's also in the trailer. Um, it's one of the kind of main focal points of the trailer is him, his Sensei recommending that, no, no, you can't listen to, what was it, Adult Contemporary? 
Yeah. That's not that's not manly enough. You need to listen. What the to fuck me. even? What's adult contemporary? I you know. That's such that's such like a like a binary way to like describe music, but it's it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's yeah. a funny genre name. And that, I don't that, know what that, actually falls that fits into. with like the rest of the movies. Like very like like binary and like matter of fact tone. Dave Matthews Band maybe Probably. fits that into makes... adult contemporary. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> that, sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So he tells Sensei tells him to go listen to metal, and that's like where, masculinity uh, is only this one thing, right? And that's that's very much what this movie is doing with this mindset of of karate. Um, where and, and and overall what it's doing with Casey's sense of masculinity is sensei has this very distinct very sexist also um way of thinking about masculinity um and how a man should be how a man should react oh your dog is too small you need a german dog that's big and strong france no no good French culture, no good. That's associated with weakness and surrender. Mm-hmm. Adult contemporary, no, that's no good. You need to listen to metal. Um, and it's kind of that like that sort of mindset that Sensei kind of tells Casey that so that he can get over his own fear of of everything, basically. Uh, his and uh, the weakness that he kind of uh, shows at the beginning of the movie. It, it made the Sensei character very interesting. Thing. I wish there was like a little I wish we got to know a little bit more what was what was up with Sensei. Yeah. What you know? Sensei's actual life is? Yeah, what's like what's his life outside the dojo? If he even has a life outside the dojo, like what got him to to that point where he is now, where he has to like Right. Where he has to like assert this masculine dominance and uh do this like very have this very violent um lifestyle where he goes out at night and like beats people up on like the off chance that he would they would be recruited yeah yeah well he describes it as saving people yeah um yeah i i think that's maybe not necessarily a fully criticism no 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 it's but i i think it is it is something to think about um even in casey's case Mm -hmm. there are small shades of Casey as a person, you know, he has, he, he seems to be a very lonely person, um, in most of his life where he really only, you only really see him interact with his dog. Um, there's a pretty funny bit early on after he is attacked with where his voicemail inbox says (laughs) only one person has bothered to call you. (laughs) And then it's a, it's a voicemail from his boss saying to take as much time as you need. And it's like, there are no more messages because no one else bothered to call you. Um, which is, is good and fits right in with that. Like really dry. This this scene later on where he like goes back to work and like the, his boss, who's like the only person who is like only like reasonably nice to him. Well, that's where just, I was going with yeah. this. Yeah. Is, we'll, we'll come back to that. I promise. Okay. Let me get the rest of this out is you don't really see much more of Casey's like personal life outside of this besides the fact that he is a weakling mm-hmm. besides him being at work, talking to some of the kind of like very stereotypical masculine yeah, bro dickish dudes. broy dudes who like talk about their favorite fuck styles and how they should do push-ups like it's very you know satirical mm-hmm. uh those three um and then his boss who is also 
seemingly pretty mild natured as well. And the only kind of shade that you get of Casey's like personal life outside of what we see with him spending time with his dog and then him at the dojo is he interacts with his boss that the, these bro dudes are kind of saying like, oh, I wish I could punch him in the face. And Casey's like, oh, well, actually, he has a wife with a newborn child and also other children. <laughs> and he, they're actually really nice and went over for a barbecue at his house. So like, if anything, kind of in that same way that you were talking about Sensei and how you kind of wanted a little bit more of like his yeah. What's going on with him? I think again, this is this is not really a criticism. No, so no, it's not a movie, knock on the movie at all. But I, in fact, I'm praising the movie for developing such an interesting character that you want to know that more. you that I want to yeah. know more about them. But I was still satisfied with how the character was narratively in the movie. Sure, sure. Where it's like it's not really like a like you know criticism. But the point I'm getting to with Casey is that you because you don't see too much of his personal life you only get a little bit and maybe it's just enough um but you don't see as much of what he loses necessarily by embracing this kind of toxic masculinity very much from his point of view right but even from his point of view you don't really get to see like you know it's not like he has much of a sense of compassion that he's yeah. losing besides yeah. this like small relationship he has with his boss and with his dog pretty much Otherwise, he's pretty much a blank slate Mm -hmm. other than his weakness. Yeah. Which gives the movie like a like a pretty implied like dark ending as well. Oh, for sure. With him basically becoming the the thing he he fully hates. Well, that's what he very much signed up for. Yeah. And that's that's what he got with a little bit more compassion. Sure. Well, and so that compassion comes from very particularly from from the woman the only woman yeah in the this only movie. woman there yeah um who was played by imogen poots she plays anna yeah her character and she's the only woman in this dojo a very frustrated woman yeah and i think that character is written not only is that character written well but i think the the kind of everything around her is it is written interestingly at least because a lot of this is sensei's very gendered, very um, misogynist um, idea of of gender and how he views Anna, who is one of his oldest students, by far clearly the most capable of his students. Um, the movie shows you that and also it's spoke it's it is said that um, by pretty much everybody but sensei who just says that women are just naturally weaker and he's constantly like just like spouting that's that's part of his his toxic masculinity is he's constantly spouting this misogynistic kind of like uh worldview where women are just they have their he he even like he's not just straight up like like women are bad he's just like oh no just women have their place which is almost this is worse yeah um like riding a tandem bicycle. <laughs> like riding a tandem bicycle. That, that, that men do that to, to, or having sex. Men men ride the tandem bicycle to please women and sex vice versa, or the, the opposite. And it's like a very, like, that deliberate kind of masculinity distilled mm-hmm. into sense. And, and it's not, it's not even like you, you get a reaction from like, uh, from, 
from Casey as well. It's not like it's, I mean, the movie is telling you that he's these things that he's saying is horrible, right? But it's not like hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think ultimately, like where the movie resolves itself, it mm-hmm. is very clear in its condemnation of that right. sort of uh, absolutely. Like, um, I those sort of ideas, and even though Jesse is not a lesser written, what I'm saying is like a lesser written script would be like Casey saying, like, what are you talking about? That's right. not how it works. But this right. movie is smart and reserved enough. And that- I, yeah, I think it's also, you know, part of Jesse Eisenberg's performance as well, where he doesn't have to say all those things. And he doesn't even have to react that, like, because it's so such a kind of reserved performance, he still is able to convey all that stuff. Yeah. I, I appreciate a movie that doesn't treat its audience like idiots. Right. Right. And this movie very much leaves a lot unsaid and mm-hmm. implied. Um, yeah. Hell of a movie. It is a hell of a movie. Yeah. It's 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 something it's something different. Yeah. There's Which, there is a lot to unpack about this movie, the more mm-hmm. I think about it. Um kind of the, the progression that that uh Casey has over the course of this movie earning his first belt and then moving up to uh yellow belt and then that kind of he kind of just stops that yellow belt though well he does stop it well he gets the he gets the stripes he gets the stripes but i mean the the way that that yellow belt empowers him and feel makes him feel more masculine and and more brave and then the way that that he completely makes that his identity Mm -hmm. by ordering the belts to wear outside which is also a very funny scene i thought that was cute it was cute um he just gives sensei a, a black leather belt mm-hmm. and he's like wow <laughs> he just like completely is like everyone is just so to say it's just so involved in the symbolism of yeah. everything just that just the regular old black leather belt it just yeah. has so much meaning it's hilarious yeah the, one of my favorite shots is where Later in the movie, uh, Sensei tells Casey to meet up with him because he thinks he's tracked down the person that beat him up, which we later reveal was him. Um, but it's he, Casey comes up and he's like, he's like, oh, I see you're wearing your your yellow belt. I'm wearing my belt as well. And it's just like a close up shot of like, <laughs> of his just crotch. His, like crotch. <laughs> and he just like slowly lifts up his shirt to reveal the black belt underneath yeah. and he puts it back down. I like that shot a lot. It's it's very well edited. <laughs> Um, there's also a, like a really, a really tragic mini story in there with, um, the friend yes. that, that Casey has the, the one blue like, belt, the blue belt who just gets shit on yes. like the whole time. Yes. What a- and that's really the first kind of, um, time the movie shows its hand with the violence besides mm-hmm. Casey getting mugged in the beginning, yeah. um, is when his friend who has a, a blue belt tries to come to the night class, which is also the one of the more fight clubby parts of this movie mm-hmm. that we're told that there's this night class um, and only a select chosen few are permitted to come to this night class, Casey being one of them. And then this blue belt who is envious of Casey because he received the, the, the ability to go to this night class before he did when he expected to be given it. Um, which is also something that the movie is dealing with that like expectation of receiving something. Yeah. And the the um the the um the blue belt guy seemed to like he seemed to like have like a real passion 
for for karate like and right. like an excited like n- not he wasn't as um like super deadpan serious as the other guys he just seemed to really enjoy the martial arts and just wanted to like be like you know rise above and be better right and he just he just gets like the worst treatment absolutely yeah and so when he comes to the night class unpermitted sensei breaks his arm at the elbow in a very very graphic way yeah and that's the first time the movie is kind of showing its hand at like oh this is this is gonna be pretty fucked up and you don't and you don't see him again until he's like until you know he He's found hung in the in he the hangs dojo, himself, which, which is a very which is a in very, the dojo, yeah, very dark conclusion of that character. Which is sort of what I kind of alluded to before the spoiler part of this podcast, where we were talking about martial arts specifically and kind of the ideology of martial arts. Um, and again, I can only speak to the martial arts that I practice myself, but in that way, this this film is sort of the most twisted kind of take on that sort of thing where martial arts in this film is very much i would say a a way of of bettering yourself to become to to impose yourself over others yeah it's almost like they're abusing it yeah it's it's a kind of martial arts to become a bully yeah sort of thing and in that way you know ultimately sensei is bullying people on the street in a kind of con to get them to sign up for his martial arts and then blackmailing them so they continue to be part of his program long after they realize this is actually a toxic thing for them. Um, Dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it is that kind of like, you know, Sensei is a sadist sort of character um, where his really his, his true goal is to impose himself onto others and be that kind of bullying where um this movie is called the art of Mm self-defense and the school of martial arts that i practice was very much only about like fighting was never something that the martial arts that i practice idealized at all in fact it, it was very much about avoiding conflict in any way possible you it was never about you know picking a fight or going to fight like do i did martial arts for 14 years of my life i've never i got i got beat up once in middle school but that's not here nor there um it's very much about avoiding conflict it's, and i've never been in a fight otherwise so your your school is more of like a lesson in discipline exactly than than anything else and it is it's that self discipline um you know, to avoid that sort of conflict and then know yourself. Mm-hmm. And in that way, this, again, this movie is kind of twisting that whole concept where really Casey is, is going against all of his natural instincts. And it's not an act of doing this martial arts to become more disciplined and know yourself better and be introspective. It's actually, warping his character into something that he's very much not so he can like lash out and become vengeful right of those who of those who like wronged him well like you said he becomes the thing he hates and there was and there was that uh there's that one little these little funny moments where um anna is teaching the the children to do karate but she's like saying really fucked up things to them about how to like you know 
boil up, like, you know, keep all your, like, rage inside so you can use against your assailants later, yes. but you can't use them now because you're children. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's the line. She says, um, oh, you, you might be smaller than your opponent now, but when you become an adult <laughs> and you're bigger, you can challenge your opponent again and take your vengeance. Yeah, it's it, and it's that kind of deadpan humor that really, I think, for us in particular, works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's also teaching the kids, you know, if you either tap or take a nap as she chokes out one of <laughs> chokes her out a child. probably like 10-year-old <laughs> students. And then for and then the next a moment later says, okay, now we will practice this technique. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's that kind of warped sense of ideology. Like, there are the rules posted on the wall guns are for the weak right which is something that my martial arts school had as well sure i haven't practiced in like 10 years so i don't remember specifically but there were kind of like guidelines for you know and that's kind of where that that sort of ideology came in like you know only this is only for your defense and your discipline this is never to be like used against someone else um we also had a no weapons policy as well. We only learned defense against weapons, which but is, when it was which, never... Which is kind of funny and hypocritical because uh, samurai swords are present in this in this film as sure. well, which is like another another aspect of like the skewed ideology yeah. of the school is like using samurai swords, which really has nothing to do with karate. Right. I mean, the whole thing is a hypocritical front. Yeah. You know, it's called the art of self-defense, but... They're going out and beating the shit out of people. Yeah, it's, so it's in, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a very interesting warped, dark take yeah. on the whole kind of uh, practice. I hope this movie. I don't think it's going to find its audience now, just because of how just like limited its its releases. But I do hope it finds its audience later. I think it definitely will once it hits video on demand. I services. hope so. Um, I mean, we're doing our part right now. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I I highly, highly recommend this movie. Um, were there any other any other specific things you wanted to bring up, talk about? No, I think I pretty much got it all out. I mean, we didn't really we didn't really talk about the ending and where Casey kind of ends up. Well, like, well, I mentioned my piece about it. It's just like it's 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 really bittersweet and like more bitter than it is sweet like he does he does win over the person that uh that that has been that has been wronging him in a way he defeats right. he defeats his shadow he, he reclaims the honor of the dojo <laughs> by by breaking by one of the most important rules putting a cap in his sensei's head <laughs> on the mat yeah and that was such a good you know it starts off early in the movie there's it's a very pretty funny scene where he goes to buy a gun after he is assaulted mm-hmm. and uh that's a pretty good that the the gun shout out to the gun shop owner because he's a very funny character yeah. and all his lines are very dryly delivered about how the statistics of uh, a child killing themselves and suicide. or suicide all go or even a conflict where you're armed you're much more likely to be shot than if you don't have a gun um, and also he very plainly says. Oh yeah, you have to fill out this form, and there's a waiting period before you can buy your gun, so you don't 
buy your gun and then go kill somebody uh, because they wronged you. You have to wait a little bit before you can go do that. And it's just, it's all very And well it, that just comes, that just comes back in such a beautiful way. Quite well. literally Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark where. <laughs> yes. 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 Where he just, yeah, pulls out the gun. And Ends him. Which also like, you know, it's always corny to say this but i did see that like when he says the the gun owner calls him and and very distinctly says like oh well you have six months if you change your mind to buy the gun because at that point he decided not to buy the gun so you knew the gun was coming back at some point and Mm -hmm. it is pretty satisfying honestly for him to challenge him in combat and and it also sets it up with the movie that he's watching early in the movie that he alludes back to of course of not playing by the rules so so, yeah, the, the finger in in the head, the, yes, just is another just aspect of this, the sheer hypocrisy of the whole thing because it's the grandmaster saying that his he, technique in his technique where he puts puts a pointer finger and through someone's head and you know that's that's probably what he did exactly yeah yeah it it's a very tightly written movie mm-hmm. like a lot of it is it all kind of meshes and comes together like you said. Uh, a a less strongly written movie would not be able to pull off what it's doing. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah. And I think ultimately where, where Casey winds up, you know, he, because he, he kind of, he's able to overcome Sensei by breaking the rules um, and by enacting like harsh vengeance violence. Yeah. But then he also kind of reclaims his dojo. He gets revenge on also. We didn't mention the dog. Yeah. His dog, uh, in a very John Wick kind of way. Yeah. Uh, gets murdered. And that is one of my favorite lines in the movie, too, where the veterinarian comes up to him after he takes his dog to the vet after his dog has been killed while he's out. And it's, it's it always, it, it never really sits right with me when it, when like a movie kills a dog. But the the scene after in the vet and just the deliberate the delivery of the vet it's like someone out of fucking Arrested Development. It's so good. <laughs> it's very very funny. Yeah, I don't think I've ever laughed at a dog dying scene no. in a movie before, but no. I did in this one. So yeah. got to get it, give it to this movie for that. Um, and it just comes and it like pays off in a very satisfying way with the the, the guy getting mauled. Yes, by the. And you know, it's all this, all this death and violence is happening, and it's like, how can they get away with this? Well, there's just an incinerator in yep. the back, so yep. <laughs> which surely you just can't buy one of those. No, it's, I have a feeling like that building. It, it looks like a big ass building that yeah. that karate is a part of. Yeah, the dojo is a part of that. So it probably used to be like a fucking morgue or something. Yeah, it it seems that way. Like this, the room that they go back, they go into very much looks like a morgue. Yeah. Um, so this movie has a lot lot going on in it mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a good one. It's a keeper. I would definitely say go check this movie out. Absolutely. Yeah. Go see it. Yeah. This has been our hot take. This has been our hot take. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's one last thing that I kind of want to close on cuz with with you know, Casey sort of he doesn't act that violence and in a way he has become the thing he hates the most, but he also like takes a step back and hands over kind of the, the, the role of the master of the dojo to 
Anna, who is the most deserving person of it and is really the only one who shows compassion Mm -hmm. because she is the one that stops Casey from being murdered um, when he is assaulted by by the members of the, the dojo early in the movie. And she's the one that kind of steps in and says at the end, like, you know, it's that final line that the movie kind of like delivers its punchline on toxic masculinity um, that is delivered by a woman, which is is good. And and where she says, like, you know, you're taught that your compassion is your weakness and being strong is to be, you know, you know, to not have that kind of feeling, but you can have both. Yeah, you can balance both, that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the movie really earns that line as much by like what else it's doing there's but there's just enough of that i think where that line kind of pays off by like her actions throughout the movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay yeah that's... that was that was kind of the last thing i wanted to get at. Yeah. <laughs> so i need that little pause and then I, like I, work that up. i definitely agree with that this is a hot take so we only saw this got out of this movie like less than an hour mm-hmm. ago so i'm still putting mm-hmm. it together i'm but... sure once this podcast is over there's going to be more thoughts that pop up oh sure that. for sure yeah, for sure. But I don't think this will be the last we'll be talking about this movie this year. So. It may come again, up again later in the year. If not, because it makes it on my top ten, then definitely as part of one of the movies that I want to shout out. So, yeah. Yeah, because it's a, it's a special little movie, for sure. Okay, well, thank you for listening to another episode of Hot Takes. This is not the only podcast we do for Story Screen. Um, by the time you're listening to this, there probably fairly recently was a episode of Cathode Raycast hosted by Bernadette Gorman White. And I think featuring, I haven't listened to it yet, but I think Robert Anderson and uh, Diana DeMuro is on, are on that uh, podcast. And they're talking probably. about Stranger Things. Ah, the big zeitgeist. The third season of Stranger Things. Yeah. Did you watch that? I did. What did you think? I, I enjoyed it. I liked it better than the second season. Okay. Um, it uh, it has some messy aspects to it, mm-hmm. but I think the uh, I liked a lot of the character work. I oh, think... I hated most of the character work. Oh, okay. Oh, well, <laughs> but we're not on that podcast. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair um, enough. So check out that podcast and listen to hear what uh, uh, Diana Bernadette and Robbie had to say about it. Um, I, I think I think that show is is certainly taking a different direction that uh most people are are expecting it's taken a lot more of a cartoony direction than it's fine it's popcorn the more i think about that show the less i like it but i don't think it's designed to be thought about super hard so no it's it's very entertaining it's fairly entertaining yeah it's distracting in the things that we can't get to. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's <laughs> probably a long podcast that you can go listen to, listeners, if, if you want to hear more. Yeah, go do that. Um, there are also articles, reviews, think pieces, all kinds of stuff up on the website. Jeremy, do you have anything you wrote recently that you want to plug? Uh, or are you overdue to write something? <laughs> well, then. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I am working on all right. something. So okay. that, sh- that should be... Certainly soon. I've been working on other projects. Sure. For, oh, other projects. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe some new content coming to Story Screen. You don't have to say anything now, but keep your eyes open. So, so yeah, I've been I've been busy uh, planning all that. Cool. But, uh, I should be. I do have an article that's that should be coming soon. So great. Well, yeah. keep your eyes open for that, dear listener. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. 
And I'm Jack Kolodzewski once again. And I'm Jeremy Kolodzewski. Yeah, we. I just yeah, I just said that like a second ago. Did you? Yeah, I knew. Well, you just said your name. Uh huh. Yeah, I said I'm a host, so I can say your name first, and then since I'm the host, no one says my name, so I'll just say it myself. Well, can we just say our own names? You want to go ahead, Jeremy Kolodzewski. Jeremy Kolodzewski. That's right. Thanks. Have a good night. Good fully. <sighs> what do you think about Martin Scorsese? He's cool. Why did he just get canceled? Uh, I just saw people were talking about him on Twitter. Oh. Um. Well, he's got a new movie coming out at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The Irishman. Mm-hmm. That's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was actually filmed in our area a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was actually a um, the local ice cream shop Weirs, where they did a f- film scene there, and they like redid the whole thing to make it look like super seventies. And they like had a whole bunch of like cars from that time driving around. So it was interesting, like driving around places and seeing like all those cars out of time. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Did you see Martin? No. I didn't see anybody there, but apparently all three of the major players, that being uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci, were at Weir's. You didn't see him? No, I didn't see him.